The Aussie dollar has fallen overnight to its lowest level since COVID. And the Kiwi dollar, it's down too at an 11-month low. It's all about US dollar strength and rising bond yields over there overnight. The RBA's comments yesterday about a soft landing, they're a factor too. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive, we interview ANZ's chief economist for Southeast Asia and India, Sanjay Matur, about the region's consumer spending bounce back after COVID and a particular issue with inflation in India, where prices of fish and veggies are expected to fall quickly because of the seasons, but a staple of Indian meals is not. It is really rice prices that could prove to be sticky. But first in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, the Aussie dollar has fallen overnight to as low as 63.6 US cents, its lowest level since COVID struck in March 2020. As ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, says it's all about the strong US dollar after better than expected factory output figures overnight helped push up bond yields by seven to eight basis points. It really is a dollar-dominant story. The U.S. economy is the standout economy at the moment. It's the one that is holding up best, uh, despite the fact that the Fed have raised interest rates very aggressively. And that is just leading people to think there's nowhere else from a currency perspective uh, that I can uh, put my money in the short term where uh, you're going to get some positive outcomes, uh, where the, the risks of recession are least. Uh, and I think that's leading to dollar buying across the board. Number two, the RBA held its cash rate at 4.1% yesterday, as expected, and also left open the option of hiking rates. But ANZ's head of Australian economics, Adam Boyton, says the RBA has started talking more about achieving a soft landing, which no doubt has played into the Aussie dollar's weakness overnight. It sounds like they're becoming a little bit more optimistic, perhaps, that they will achieve a soft landing. There was a new line in the statement yesterday, and that's inflation is coming down, the labour market remains strong, and the economy is operating at a high level of capacity utilisation, although growth has slowed. So I think there's maybe just a bit more optimism at the RBA that they, they can achieve this soft landing. Number three, Australia's final GDP numbers for the June quarter are out later today, and Adam has updated his forecasts. He sees a 0.4% rise for the quarter. That would lead to a 1.9% rise from a year ago. He says solid government spending growth is offsetting weak spending and investing by businesses and consumers. I think the takeout, though, is softness in the private sector part of the economy. So we think household consumption will make a a small fall. We think there'll be a small fall in housing construction, and that'll be offset by a bit of growth in business investment. But the private sector side of the Australian economy looks to have been pretty sluggish in Q2. Number four. India's Reserve Bank has a particular challenge with inflation. There's a risk that consumers feel that high food inflation becomes embedded. And one of the main reasons for that is rice prices. They're sticky. What we notice is that within food inflation, there are two categories. One is rice prices, and the other is prices of perishables like vegetables, fish. Now, that second part is related to typhoon activity, and that tends to be a seasonal feature So it would be too early to sort of move as far as from the standpoint of central banks. And lastly, I think central banks would also want to wait and watch if this really feeds through inflation expectations. Number five, ANZ's China economist Betty Wang has noticed an announcement from China's vice premier, He Lefeng, about building a lot more affordable housing, 
separate from the private housing market. We've got quite a few changes suggesting that China is shifting from market-oriented housing mechanism towards a public housing mechanism. So this is suggests that actually China might want to adopt the so-called Singapore model, which relies on public housing to um, meet the demand of households, uh, versus you know the Hong Kong model, which purely relies on market-oriented housing. ANZ's Betty Wang there. Now in our bonus deep dive, ANZ's chief economist for India and Southeast Asia, Sanjay Mathur, has taken a closer look at how consumer spending in the region is bouncing back after COVID. Yes, yeah, so private consumption in Asia post-pandemic has certainly recovered and recovered handsomely. At the same time, what we are seeing is that we are not being able to recoup the consumption loss that we had during the pandemic. So, i.e., we've set ourselves on a lower level of trend growth in private consumption. So, private consumption hasn't rebounded to pre-pandemic levels. Do you think it's likely to? I think it will take some time and a few years, to be sure. And the reason for it is that the pandemic caused significant damage, whether it's income inequality, whether it's slower wage growth, whether it is loss of education by which households have to save more for it in the future. So this was such a large shock that it warranted more conservative behavior on the part of households. How has the partial rebound in private consumption aided Asia's post-pandemic recovery? It certainly has. So when we look at consumption across the region, It has been growing faster than headline GDP in most economies. I think the only exception there is Indonesia, but it obviously has been the mainstay of the post-pandemic recovery for the region. Okay, so what are the key drivers of private consumption in Asia? In a conventional sense, I think there are two main drivers. One is the strength of the labor market, which encompasses both employment as well as income. The second driver is interest rates. And I would add that post-pandemic, we would also include excess savings of households. And how does monetary policy affect those dynamics? Well, monetary policy really changes the opportunity cost of consuming today. So to put it simply, when interest rates rise, and we did see a fair amount of tightening by Asian central banks, It did take some time to feed through deposit rates. And once you find that time deposit rates are increasing, households become more incentivized to save than to spend. So what we have seen is that there was quite a buildup of excess savings in many economies. Now, post-pandemic, be it due to revenge spending or the fact that a lot of consumption decisions were postponed during the pandemic, we have seen households utilize this excess savings, and that has come down considerably. In what particular countries are you seeing savings being run down now, and what countries still have large buffers? Savings are being run down pretty much across the board. At the same time, we would say that South Korea and Thailand are lagging behind in terms of running this buffer down. But we should also remember that these are two highly indebted economies or households have a fair amount of debt. And how is the labour market holding up? The labour market, I would say, as far as the unemployment rate is concerned, it is holding up exceptionally well. Unemployment rates are at historical lows. 
At the same time, what we are seeing is that growth in incomes has slowed down. Uh, we also think that there is not that much more to be gained from further falls in employment because labor force participation rates are at all-time highs. So incremental attrition from this source to consumption will be much less going forward. Okay. Can you tell me how you anticipate the agriculture sector affecting these numbers? So one of the major threats to the region at this point in time, and particularly to ASEAN and India, is the likelihood of an El Nino event. And dry weather would impact agricultural output and incomes by implication. And the three countries that have substantial dependence of the labor force or a large part of the labor force is engaged in the agricultural sector is India, Philippines, and Thailand. So they would be much more adversely impacted than the others. So would this have a a moderating impact on private consumption? Absolutely, it will. Sanjay Mathur there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Wednesday, September the 6th. Catch you tomorrow for an analysis of those Australian GDP figures. This podcast was recorded for publication on behalf of ANZ. All associated disclosures and disclaimers can be viewed using the link in your media player or the ANZ website through which you access this podcast. All care has been taken to report the views of ANZ Research in the creation of this podcast, but as an independent host, any differing interpretations are strictly mine and not ANZ's. Feel free to contact your ANZ point of contact with any questions.